Hello everyone, welcome to Daily Gospel Exegesis Podcast. We're looking at the Gospel reading from today's Catholic Mass, as you know if you've been following this podcast for a little while. And today we're looking at a very well-known passage from the Gospel of Luke. So it's Luke chapter 2, verses 41 to 52. Every year the parents of Jesus used to go to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. When he was twelve years old, they went up for the feast as usual. When they were on their way home after the feast, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem without his parents knowing it. They assumed he was with the caravan, and it was only after a day's journey that they went to look for him among their relations and acquaintances. When they failed to find him, they went back to Jerusalem looking for him everywhere. Three days later, they found him in the temple, sitting among the doctors, listening to them, and asking them questions. And all those who heard him were astounded at his intelligence and his replies. They were overcome when they saw him. And his mother said to him, My child, why have you done this to us? See how worried your father and I have been, looking for you? Why were you looking for me, he replied. Did you not know that I must be busy with my father's affairs? But they did not understand what he meant. He then went down with them and came to Nazareth and lived under their authority. His mother stored up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom, in stature, and in favour with God and men. So, let's start here at verse 41. Every year, the parents of Jesus used to go to Jerusalem for the feast of Passover. So, this is a compulsory feast for the Jews. All Jewish people had to go to Passover once a year. And they would come to Jerusalem from all over Israel in large groups. They would travel there. So, Mary and Jesus had to travel from Nazareth. So, that could be one day's journey or it could be a few days journey because they're coming from... uh, the northern region of Galilee, and that's a fair distance away from the southern area where Jerusalem is. Some estimate that over a million people would be in Jerusalem for Passover each year, so it was very, very crowded. It says, when he was 12 years old, they went up for the feast as usual. So Jesus is 12, that means the year is probably around AD 10. Is there any significance to Jesus being 12? Possibly. Maybe, maybe not. Some Jewish traditions say that the prophet Samuel in the Old Testament was called by God at 12 years old, although that's not explicit in the biblical text. That is possible. This is the only story we have of Jesus from his childhood. Other traditions uh, and Gnostic Gospels actually have more stories about Jesus from his childhood, but they seem to be largely made up. This is the only genuine story we have. When they were on their way home after the feast, so they've gone to Passover and Mary, Joseph and Jesus are on the way back from Jerusalem to Nazareth, and that could take a few days to get back to Nazareth, it appears that this event occurs on the first day of their journey back to Nazareth. So it's still the first day after they set out to go back. Verse 43, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem without his parents knowing it. So Jesus chooses to stay in Jerusalem. Now, some scholars have suggested that 
Jesus might have actually intended to go back with Mary and Joseph to Nazareth, but maybe he had accidentally been left behind. That's certainly possible, because in that case, if he worked out he'd been left behind, he decided the best place to go would be the temple. So that's possible. Uh, Others scholars believe that Jesus clearly planned to stay behind and teach in the temple, but the text isn't clear about that. Verse 44, they assumed he was with the caravan. So Mary and Joseph uh, were traveling in large groups because pilgrims to Passover would do that. So all the presumably all the people from Nazareth might have traveled together and they're traveling back from Passover to Nazareth in a large group. And it was quite common for children to go off and hang out with other relatives during the day on to, in the journey back, the kids would go and play with each other and then they would return to their parents at night time. That was the usual way it worked. So it's quite normal for Mary and Joseph not to notice that he's missing for a little while. It's also possible that Jesus might have struck Mary and Joseph as quite an unusually mature and responsible boy and maybe they felt that he didn't need constant supervision. Possibly that's a factor as well. It's important to keep in mind that If Jesus has brothers and sisters of some kind, whether that means uh, children from Joseph's previous marriage or perhaps some sort of cousins from Mary's side, we're not clear on that, but they probably would have been part of this too and they would have been traveling with Joseph and Mary. So probably wasn't as simple of Jesus, Mary and Joseph traveling in a little unit of three people. There was probably others involved here as well. So they assumed he was with the caravan and it was only after a day's journey that they went to look for him among their relations and acquaintances. So after a day has gone past, possibly when Jesus didn't return to them that night when they expected him to, they start to look among their other relatives while they are traveling. When they failed to find him, they went back to Jerusalem looking for him everywhere you can imagine that Mary and Joseph would be very panicked. It's They know it's going to be hard to find Jerusalem anyway. You can't find people in there. It's such a packed city. But particularly at this time of the year around Passover, it will be near impossible to find a missing person. So, of course, they're going to be panicked. Verse 46, three days later. Now, what are the three days here? It could be taken to mean that they literally searched for him in Jerusalem for three full days. But it could also mean three days since the beginning of the story, as in uh, they had one day traveling from Jerusalem and then one day traveling back to Jerusalem when they realized he was missing. And then the third day is the one day of searching. So if that's the case, they've been searching for one full day, possibly. Scholars have pointed out that it's interesting that Luke highlights three days later. This probably foreshadows the three days that Jesus would be missing, in a sense, in the tomb. And his mother and his disciples would be deprived of him for three days, just as his parents appear to be here. The location, Jerusalem, and the feast, Passover, were the same at Jesus' crucifixion. It happens in Jerusalem around Passover, so that's interesting. So they find him in the temple. The temple was open to all Jews during the day, so often teachers and preachers would go into the temple and other Jews would come and listen to them, and particularly during Passover, that would be quite popular. And they find him sitting among the doctors, or the teachers. This is basically those in Jerusalem who were experts in interpreting and teaching the Jewish law. Probably the scribes would be part of this group. Now, it's likely that this group of teachers, though a lot of them, although not necessarily all of them, by the time Jesus 
becomes an adult and begins his ministry around 20 years later, the scribes and the teachers who were here on this day have probably died by then. They were probably quite old already. So when Jesus rises to prominence, probably a lot of them have died, so they don't notice the connection because they're not around anymore. Interestingly, this might recall how the young boy Daniel in the Old Testament sat in the midst of the elders in the story of Susanna. If you read Daniel chapter 13, verse 50, Daniel sits and learns from the elders, so there might be a similarity here. And it said, the text says he's listening to them and asking them questions. The text doesn't say that he's teaching them anything. Often we sort of imagine that Jesus is there teaching them about God, and that is possible. But certainly a common Jewish way of instruction involved posing questions and then wrestling with them in the light of Scripture. So there's two possible options here. It could be that Jesus is uh, asking questions and then listening to their answers and then following up with another question. So in that sense, he's just asking questions and not teaching anything. Because he is quite young, so they may not have accepted his teaching. And in that case, he's just asking questions from the experts. He's not challenging them. He's simply learning. But of course, the other interpretation is that he is intending to teach by the style of questions he asks. And the text does say that he's, his answers astounded them. So he might be posing rhetorical questions and then answering them, in which case he is literally sitting there teaching them. So it's one of those two. Verse 47, all those who heard him, now that means there's lots of people there, crowds had probably gathered in the temple to listen to this young boy Jesus dialoguing with the teachers. That would be quite a sight to see. They are astounded at his intelligence and his replies. So he's answering the questions, possibly the questions of the Pharisees, maybe his own questions. Certainly at a minimum here, what we have is the boy Jesus clearly understands the ways of God and the Old Testament very well, and he's displaying extraordinary understanding of these matters for someone of his age. And that's what's amazing the crowd. They're probably not looking at Jesus going, wow, this is the Messiah. They're probably just looking and thinking, wow, this kid is a genius. He knows the law very well. Now, in terms of our theology here, how much did Jesus know at this stage? He's 12 years old. That's a matter of debate amongst theologians. Certainly here, it appears that he's seeking to learn new things from the teachers, so he's getting new knowledge. So if that's the case, and the general consensus amongst theologians, although certainly not the only view, is that Jesus knew his own identity and mission right from his conception. He knew it. However, he grew in understanding of what that meant as his brain grew and matured, much as any human brain would. One proposal of how this might work is that Jesus' identity was always present in his subconscious. It was built into him from his conception, but he only grew more conscious of what that meant as he grew up and matured. And I quite like that proposal. That makes sense of how Jesus' divine faculties and human faculties worked. But of course, that's just a suggestion. Verse 48, his parents were overcome when they saw him, or more literally, they were astonished. What are they astonished about? Well, the text doesn't tell us again. It's probably not because of what he's saying. They're probably not standing there listening to him teach and being astonished as he's teaching. They probably don't just sit there and listen to him. They probably just walk in and they see what he's doing, and that's what astonishes them. They're sitting there watching their boy interacting with very learned company. 
They might also be quite astonished because he seems to be very comfortable in the temple and he's sitting there not stressed at all while his parents had been worried sick, so they're quite astonished. My child, why have you done this to us? Or more literally, why have you treated us so? This is the question that Mary asks, and so we need to be comfortable with the fact here that Mary does appear to be showing genuine distress. Mary and Joseph correctly perceive that Jesus has deliberately stayed in the temple, so they work that out, but from that they jump to the conclusion that he has scorned or disregarded them, and that's obviously not the case, but it seems that way to them. Why doesn't Mary understand what Jesus was up to, given that she's immaculately conceived and given that the angel Gabriel told her that she would bear the Messiah? Well, actually, Gabriel only gave her quite limited information when he appeared and told her what was going to happen. Basically, all Gabriel told her was that he would be the Messiah and would bring salvation. That's about it. He didn't tell Mary anything about the cross or about the way Jesus would grow up. Mary did not know what Jesus' life was going to look like, or she probably didn't even know that he was going to have supernatural wisdom. All she knew was that he's going to be the Messiah. It's really not until after the cross that Mary understands more deeply God's plan of salvation through Jesus dying on the cross. So she develops in her understanding. She does not have perfect knowledge by any stretch. So this is what she says to Jesus. See how worried your father and I have been looking for you. Notice that Joseph is here. He's mentioned as being here. This is the last time that he's seen alive in the Gospels. Now we get to hear Jesus' first ever spoken words. Verse 49, why were you looking for me? Now, when Jesus says that, it doesn't mean why were you looking for me at all. What he means is, why didn't you know straight straight away where to come and find me? That's similar to something that happens in the resurrection. Remember, the women are looking for Jesus after they find the tomb empty. And the angels say, why do you seek the living among the dead? So there's a similarity here, isn't there? Both occasions imply that if people understood earlier events about Jesus, they should have known where they should look for Jesus. And then he says, did you not know that I must be busy with my father's affairs? Or other translations put this as, I must be in my father's house. It's hard to work out what the correct translation here is because it means the same thing, affairs and house. It's the same in Greek. Notice the word must, though. I must be in my father's house. So it's like a divine necessity. I think the basic meaning here, what the boy Jesus says is, did you not know that I would be tending to the business of my father, which in this case means learning in the temple? So Jesus might sort of be thinking, well, Mary and Joseph, if you knew that I was in Jerusalem, you should have known that I would be in the temple uh, because they know that he has no human father and they also know that the temple is God's house. So from that, perhaps Jesus expected that they should have worked out that he would be with his father in the temple. Is Jesus being rude? This is a question that often gets brought up. Is Jesus being rude here when he says, did you not know that I must be busy with my father's affairs? I don't think we have to interpret it that way. It seems that at this age, he already understands the priority of his duty to his father. And as Christians and as Jews, they believe that God takes precedence even over earthly parents. So Jesus hasn't really done anything wrong here. And he's, he's trying to explain that to them. He said, did you not know that if I wasn't with you, I'd be with my heavenly father? 
And Jesus, of course, would later make that teaching explicit when he says, unless you hate your mother and father, you cannot be my disciple. And we look at that in the podcast when we get to it. Verse 50, they did not understand what he meant. Now, I think the reason they didn't understand his saying here is because of the word father. That was not a common way of speaking about God at the time. But here, Jesus says, I'm in my father's house. So Mary and Joseph are probably thinking, what are you talking about? This this is the temple. It's not your father's house. So they didn't make the connection that Jesus saw God as his father. So they're not yet able to put together the pieces about Jesus' mission. Verse 51, he then went down with them and came to Nazareth. Now, we know from Matthew's gospel that they've already been living in Nazareth for quite a while, but now he goes back to Nazareth. And the text, our lectionary translation says, he lived under their authority, but more literally, it's he was obedient to them. So Luke wisely includes this phrase in here because he he probably can predict that his readers might get the impression that Jesus was a disobedient little boy, particularly in this incident. Luke wants to make sure that his readers don't see Jesus as disobedient, and so he deliberately highlights the fact that Jesus was obedient. Jesus continues to follow his parents as per God's commands, and that includes Joseph. Notice it says parents. He followed both parents. Even Even though Jesus knows that Joseph is not his real father, he still recognizes that Uh, He has legal rights over him, so he follows Joseph, who's basically his foster father. So this verse, along with others, teaches us that Jesus was righteous in every way. It's just that that righteousness can take us, uh, catch us a bit off guard. And in this case, it's because Jesus recognizes that his duty to his father takes precedence over the duty to his earthly parents. Of course, that is holiness, that is righteousness, because that is God's will. The text finishes with, his mother stored up all these things in her heart. That's the end of that verse. This is actually the second time Mary is said to do this. The first time she does this is after the shepherd's visit in earlier in chapter 2. So it's a famous phrase, his mother stored up all these things in her heart. So, some scholars suggest that this meaning here, which can be translated pondered, is best rendered pieced together, as in she thought deeply about these things and tried to piece them together, work out their meaning. So Mary knows that Jesus is the Messiah. She knows that by this point, because that's pretty much what Gabriel told her. But now this new event of Jesus in the temple has challenged her thinking on what exactly it means for Jesus to be the Messiah. She probably thinks of the Messiah as a political figure, because most Jews did. So, over the coming years, she tries to make sense of what it means. Now, this phrase, his mother stored up all these things in her heart, this is a strong indication that Luke got this story from Mary herself. How else would Luke know what Mary's deep emotional response was here unless he has talked to her? No one else would really know Mary's emotional response deep in her heart. By the time she tells Luke this story, Jesus would have died on the cross. So Mary would have been able to make sense of the events now at the time she's telling Luke, but not at the time that they happened. So we get to verse 52 now, and Luke tells us Jesus increased in wisdom. Now, this has generated a lot of controversy. It's an interesting statement, quite controversial theologically for many people. Jesus increased in wisdom. 
So it seems to mean that through the normal process of growing up, Jesus learned to discern the appropriate ways to act in the normal way that a normal human would learn these things as they grew. This statement is not meant to deny the divinity of Jesus. Luke is pretty clear elsewhere that he understands Jesus to be divine. So with this statement, all Luke is really trying to say something like this. Jesus grew in the normal way the boys do as they reach maturity. So his character and his knowledge was developed in accordance with the normal process of physical and psychological growth. That seems to be what Luke is saying. So as Christians, we need to be comfortable with with the idea that Jesus did not exercise infinite knowledge during his ministry, and certainly not in his childhood. In fact, the Catechism makes it clear, as we'll see, that Jesus' human knowledge was not unlimited. His human knowledge was not unlimited. In fact, he had to learn some things from experience. Luke tells us he grew in stature, so Jesus grew taller, as teenage boys would. Remember, Jesus is 12 here, so he's probably just entering puberty, and after that, he's going to grow. This can also be translated years. Jesus grew in years. So, the basic teaching here is that Jesus grew in manhood, and Luke also tells us he grew in favor with God and with men. So, as Jesus grew, he was pleasing in the sight of God. That's what Luke tells us. And also, he was highly regarded by men as well. He was apparently quite a upstanding member of the Nazareth community. A similar statement is made about Samuel in the Old Testament. If you go to 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 26, a similar thing is said about him, which is interesting given all, given all the allusions to uh, the parallels between Samuel and Jesus in these chapters. Given that Jesus' understanding has been mentioned earlier in verse 47, remember they commented on his strong understanding. Some scholars think that given that Jesus' both understanding and his wisdom have been mentioned here in a few verses. Maybe there's an allusion also to the messianic prophecy in Isaiah 11 verse 2, which says, the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him a spirit of wisdom and understanding. So maybe Luke, as he often does, is subtly hinting that Jesus is the Messiah. Now, when Jesus next appears in the gospel of Luke, in fact, any of the gospels, the very next thing we hear from Jesus is he's about 30 years old. That's what Luke tells us. So, There's a silent period of about 18 to 20 years here where we don't know anything about what happens to Jesus. The Catechism talks about them as years of ordinary work when Jesus was involved in the normal tasks of growing up, being a human and having a job. So uh, we often don't talk about these years and because we don't know a whole lot about them. But the Catechism says these were very important years in terms of Jesus' solidarity with the rest of humanity. Now, the next section of Luke is the start of chapter 3, and that's about John the Baptist's ministry. So, you can hear that next section on the second Sunday of Advent in year C. So, now let's turn to the Catechism, which is a summary of Catholic teachings. And we get a few really interesting references to Luke chapter 2. There's a few paragraphs here which are dedicated basically entirely to this um, Narrative, And so these are paragraphs that you might not have heard at all on the podcast before. So let's take a look at a few of these unique uh, catechism paragraphs. Paragraph 534, this is uh, dedicated entirely to this event. The finding of Jesus in the temple is the only event that breaks the silence of the Gospels about the hidden years of Jesus. Here, Jesus lets us catch a glimpse of the mystery of his total consecration to a mission that flows from his divine sonship. Did you not know that I must be about my father's work? 
Mary and Joseph did not understand these words, but they accepted them all in faith. Mary kept all these things in her heart during the years Jesus remained hidden in the silence of an ordinary life. So the church sees this event as quite significant in telling us about Jesus' total consecration to the Father. Paragraph 583 talks about all the times Jesus uh, goes to the temple, and this is mentioned as one of them. And it specifically says, at the age of 12, he decided to remain in the temple to remind his parents that he must be about his father's business. Paragraph 503, this is about Mary's plan, as uh, in God's plan, uh, to make Mary the mother of God. It says, Mary's virginity manifests God's absolute initiative in the incarnation. Jesus has only God as father. He was never estranged from the father because of the human nature which he assumed. He is naturally son of the father as to his divinity, and naturally son of his mother as to his humanity, but properly son of the father in both natures. Really deep, uh, complex theology there, but beautiful theology as well. And so that tells us that right from his conception, as soon as the incarnation happened, Jesus was perfectly united to the father. And here at the age of 12, we see him have an understanding of that to some extent. Paragraph 2599, this is about Jesus' own prayers. He learns to pray in the words and rhythms of the prayer of his people in the synagogue at Nazareth and the temple at Jerusalem. But his prayer springs from an otherwise secret source, as he intimates at the age of 12, I must be in my father's house. Here the newness of prayer in the fullness of time begins to be revealed. His filial prayer, which the father awaits from his children, is finally going to be lived out by the only son in his humanity, with and for men. Lastly, paragraph 531, this is about Jesus' hidden life in general. Uh, Jesus' hidden life being the period of time as he's growing up that we don't know much about. During the greater part of his life, Jesus shared the condition of the vast majority of human beings. A daily life spent without evident greatness, a life of manual labor. His religious life was that of a Jew obedient to the law of God, a life in the community. From this whole gospel period, it is revealed to us that Jesus was obedient to his parents and that he increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Paragraph 517. When Christ became incarnate and was made man, he recapitulated in himself the long history of mankind and procured for us a shortcut to salvation, so that what we had lost in Adam, that is, being in the image of likeness of God, we might recover in Christ Jesus. For this reason, Christ experienced all the stages of life, thereby giving communion with God to all men. Really interesting teaching there. The Catechism tells us that the fact that Jesus experienced a normal growing up is actually important in terms of uh, the way that Jesus allows all humanity to be saved. Paragraph 2196, this is a section about the fourth commandment, honor your mother and father, and there's a brief reference in there which says Jesus was obedient to them. In fact, that's one of the key references to understanding that commandment. Paragraph 472, this is about Christ's soul and his human knowledge. This human soul that the Son of God assumed is endowed with a true human knowledge. As such, this knowledge could not in itself be unlimited. It was exercised in the historical conditions of his existence in space and time. 
This is why the Son of God could, when he became man, increase in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man, and would even have to inquire for himself about what one in the human condition can only learn from experience. This corresponded to the reality of his voluntary emptying of himself, taking the form of a slave. So some really profound stuff in there. I'll I'll include all of these paragraphs in the episode description. So we'll leave it there for today. Thank you once again for your support of this ministry. Please keep it in your prayers. It's my prayer that uh, these podcasts can help spread the kingdom of God by helping people come to understand God and the gospels more clearly. And I pray that uh, you are getting a lot out of it. I know that many of you are. So please continue to tell others about it so that we can help more and more Catholics and others uh, come to know uh, what is revealed to us in the Gospels. Thanks. We'll see you tomorrow.